Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder that has built and scaled and also exited a few companies now. He's on his uh, recent one, and we're going to be talking about this recent one in detail. But I think that you're all going to find his journey quite uh, inspiring. So I guess without further ado, John Tomich, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So originally born and raised there in California, in Los Angeles. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Life was great growing up. No complaints. Los Angeles is a beautiful city, a lot of sunshine, and it's rare. I was actually, I was actually born and raised here and, and, uh, and also went to university in LA as well. And I was just going to ask you here, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, the, um, the choice that you took when it came to studies. Like, what was the uh, minor in Russian? Because you combined that with international finance, but, but why Russian? You know, Russian was I needed I needed a uh, a language requirement. It was uh, in in and I wanted to do something I wanted to do something different. And I had taken Spanish uh, in 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 sort of you know grammar school and middle school and and uh, they offered Russian and I needed a lower division language requirement. Frankly speaking, and 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 it, this was 
this was in the sort of late nineties era, if you if you recall, and like the, the you know there was a a lot of geopolitical change happening in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe and so forth, and so there was a lot of potential economic opportunity in these areas, and I thought. You know, I wanted I, finance and international finance specifically was something that I wanted to focus in on. And, and I thought Russia and I liked the language and it just kind of all fit together with the theme of potentially going over to that area of the world and, and uh, postgraduate and, uh, and doing some work over there. So let's talk about graduating and now venturing to the digital world, because that was with Comstance. So uh, so tell us about this experience. And obviously, this was your you know, kind of like your segue to becoming a founder as well. So how was the experience of venturing into the digital world? It was, I started working for a company. I, I When I graduated from college, I put together a list of companies that were doing business in the former Soviet Union. And the list was very small in Los Angeles. And I came across, a, and a family friend actually put me in touch with a uh, a guy that had started E Entertainment Television. He was a very successful media entrepreneur, and he had he had basically built a business exporting old soap operas to the former Soviet Union. And made, made a killing doing this, and he would um, give a, give the programs away for free to the Russian television stations and keep the advertising the rights to the advertising revenue. And so I started actually working for him under the auspices of hey, I wanted to get involved in Russia and. I'm, you know, international finance degree and a Russian language minor. And what happened soon after that is Microsoft, he had this, this business, this consulting business. And because of what he had done building a television, a cable television network, we got approached by Microsoft to build it, to do a, the business plan and some consulting work on an interactive TV station, right? This is back when interactive TV was, was uh, in vogue. And that that's, kind of how I got involved in digital. And I was the young guy in the, in the firm and, and the analyst. And I started writing this business plan for interactive television. And, and, and the next thing you know, we got acquired. This is in the, in the late 90s as well, during the dot-com kind of the, the, the peak of the dot-com days. And we, had, we got rolled up into a company called IXL Enterprises, which ended up going public at the height of the dot-com bubble. Um, and so it was a real seminal experience for me in my career. Not only did I experience, you know, the, sort of the the nascent kind of growth of the internet, digital technology, but then subsequently the whole thing exploded, right? So you saw the casualties of kind of hubris and exuberance in the digital tech world. So there was a lot of learning lessons that happened early on. But I, I, I uh, cut my teeth in e-commerce at that company, that, that company IXL. And, and, and subsequently led me to my first real successful entrepreneurial enterprise, which was a company called One Stop Internet that we built around the idea that, that, that this is in the mid 2000s, post dot com bust, that businesses were going to um, outsource a lot of their kind of core e commerce operations, right? And, Fulfillment, you know, there's a bunch of areas to run an e-commerce site that you need real expertise in. Fulfillment is one of them. Warehouse space, pick, pack, and ship, returns processing, et cetera. Customer care, you need people to answer the phones, live chat, email. You need a technology platform to run everything. You need to do the, the sort of creative kind of design and, and content that like the ornaments around the tree that skins that e-commerce platform. Obviously, product photography, 
there's ongoing operational maintenance, um, marketing and analytics. You have to drive customers to the website and then com communicate to those customers on an ongoing basis to bring them back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these complicated operational processes for a company like, let's say, in the apparel space that's focused on, you know, making blue jeans or making, you know, women's dresses is a lot of times outside their, their, their area of expertise. And so we, we built this business around going to these brands and essentially they outsource their entire e-commerce sort of operational infrastructure to us on a revenue share basis. And what was the, um, for the people listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model there? How were you guys making money? We would do all of the stuff that I mentioned to you earlier, right? So there's those, all those categories of service, believe it or not. And um, we would sign multi-year contracts with these brands, like Lululemon was a client, for example. And we would sign a multi, we signed a multi-year contract and we would, we would perform all these services and act on their behalf. So we would build, we built their website, ran their website, ship the product that was ordered from their website, answer the phone, lululemon.com. How can I help you? Et cetera, et cetera. And we would get a, for all of that, all the services, uh, we would get a percentage of the sales generated on the website and they would provide us with the merchandise on consignment that would sit in our warehouse. So we didn't take any inventory risk. So we, we were essentially acting as their virtual outsourced e-commerce uh, operations division, and we would get compensated on a revenue share basis. Now, in this case for you guys, I know as well that your first uh, client was Von Dutch. So uh, how was landing, you know, such a client like that? We that was a that was just a, a personal connection that we happen to have with the business. Um, that uh, a woman that I used to work with was the happened to be the VP of marketing at Von Dutch and approached me and said, "Can you help run our e-commerce?" Or because I worked at that previous company, and frankly, the uh, the idea around the revenue share model kind of came from them not having a lot of money. So this was early Von Dutch. And then if you don't remember this brand, it was it was a real pop culture phenomenon in, in the mid 2000s. And, and, you know, so I think Paris Hilton started wearing it on her reality TV show. And Ashton Kutcher was on this, this, uh, remember the game show punked. And he was wearing it was the trucker cat phase. And they just they they it really exploded. And and but in, in any case, we we uh, built their e their e-commerce kind of infrastructure, and I hired a skeletal crew at that point. And then they didn't have any money, so the way that they, we were going to get compensated was the revenue share model. And it turned out to be a fantastic business model. Um, Von Dutch was very successful, and we used the cash flow from Von Dutch to reinvest in the business, and then get the portfolio theory right. So we 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 knew that Von Dutch as a uh, pop culture phenomenon. It was not going to last, right? The stars that burn the brightest burn the fastest, as they say. But if you applied a portfolio theory to the business model, and we got other apparel brands in this category, we could leverage our operating um, sort of cost structure across multiple clients it, it, and, and really build a successful business around this. So that, that was kind of how it all how it all evolved from Von Dutch. And at one point, we had one stop. We had 100 apparel brands that we were managing and it was the who's who of sort of contemporary fashion brands um, all under one sort of roof. Let, let's talk about as well onboarding 
customers in in creative ways. I know that gifting, you know, also has been something that you've used to. So, so why gifting? And give us, you know, like some of those real life examples that you used. It's a great question. It's a great topic. Um, and it's and and in in both companies, one stop, and then my the, the current business I'm involved that I'm running, Credit Key. We've we've used gifting campaigns, um, focused gifting gifting initiatives to get to get our, our our first clients essentially, our our second client in the case of One Stop. But um, I always say sales and and particularly enterprise sales, in my opinion, <clears throat> is fifty percent sourcing and 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 fifty percent you know closing the deal once you're in the door, right? But but getting getting in the door. Um, as, as, as simple as it may sound from the outside looking in is extraordinarily difficult for these large organizations. And they are, uh, there, there are like in the e-commerce space, for example, I used to use the analogy of like, if you go to one of these e-commerce trade shows, like shop.org or internet retail, uh, they have these shows every year. There are you know, 800 exhibitors. And they're all selling something, these exhibitors, right? And they're all selling something that you plug into your e-commerce shopping cart funnel to optimize something. It's some sort of marketing optimization tool or it's a payment method or whatever it is. They're all trying to get to the same director of the VP of e-commerce at the gap.com. And so those folks, they can't even answer their phones. It's so, they're they're such an, uh, they're such, they're so inundated with sales calls. And so getting, getting, the door opened is, like I said, extraordinarily difficult. And so one of the one of the techniques that I've utilized is is I, I sent and I'll, I'll give you an analogy or a, an anecdote. At one stop, we were trying to get our second our second big client at the time was a really big denim company called True Religion Brand Jeans, right? And the CEO wouldn't the CEO wouldn't take my calls, and so I made this huge custom check like this the type you see on like the price is right of the game shows and i wrote you know pay to the order of true religion brand jeans and i made it sort of um representative of, of what would happen to them if they signed a deal with one stop and then i sent a hundred flowers roses to the office and so the check arrived and the roses arrived and it was uh, unique enough, and it really grabbed the the CEO's attention. And I got a call, and he said, "Come on in. Like you, you've 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 gotten my attention. Uh, nobody's ever done something like this before." And we ended we ended up closing that deal, and it became one of our sort of like flagship clients. But um, I did the same thing. I just want to t- want to share one more thing. I did the same thing at 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 Credit Key. I was in the Apple Store one day with my head of sales. And they had these 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 Mavic drones. They're these really sleek white boxes, and that's a nice gift. I mean, it's a five hundred dollar drone, right? And I thought, wow, this is really I, I, what a great gift. It occurred to me the light bulb went off. And at the same time, we were talking about going to a trade show. It's early days of Credit Key, and we were looking at the budget for the trade show and it was going to cost us like $10,000 to send, you know, three sales reps to the trade show. We have to fly into Chicago and the hotels, the passes for the, for the conference and everything else. And I said, you know, instead of spending the $10,000 on trade shows, we should do this. I, I'm going to do something that worked for me at one stop. We should get a list 
of 20 CEOs and we're going to send them, I'm going to buy 20 of these drones. It's going to cost us $10,000, right? And I'm going to send a drone. And we got these custom cards made up that said, um, you know, raise, raise your revenue. And it was a picture of a drone, like pulling up a dollar sign. It said, raise your revenue through credit key. And I signed it with my, my, like a real wet ink signature. And I sent it out. And I must have gotten 10 calls on my cell phone directly. And people are just like, the drone landed on their desk. So look, it's a great, it, it, it's not foolproof. And it's hard to, you know, there's challenges in scaling it, right? You can't do this for a thousand you know, people. But on a select basis, it's been a real tool for us to use to get, to get, to get our foot in the door. Now, with uh, One Stop, uh, also you guys raised some money. How did you guys capitalize the business? One Stop was, was, a, was, a, was a great economic model. And I mentioned to you, as I mentioned to you, uh, it was a revenue share, right? So we had our first successful client with Von Dutch that started really generating a lot of cash. So it was, it's, it, 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 it was a unique startup experience, right? And so we, we also were the custodians of the of the cash that would run through our processing accounts. Remember, we ran these e-commerce sites. So we would sign these brands up, these, 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 these retailers. And then um, we would essentially settle the next month, not to get too into the accounting details here, but we would settle the next month for the previous 30 days. And we had so many of these brands that we started to build up this, it was like a negative working capital kind of situation to our benefit. And it really, it really financed the business, right? Um, and but we had that first successful, that success, first successful client. So we were profitable early on um, in, in that particular business idea, and we actually were fortunate, I guess, or uh, depending on how you want to look at it. But we had uh, fi- we had financial institutions approaching us because they heard they'd heard about us as a company. They knew we were a pioneer in this nascent, growing e-commerce services space. And so we had VC firms reaching out to us, and we ended up selling pieces of the business off to uh, these investors. We did a Series A in, in 2000, 2009, which was a really interesting time to do a, do a financing, 2008, 2009, if you remember, the, the, the market was crashing. Um, yeah. And then we did another deal in 2011 in this particular company, and both were... Uh, uh, we sold pieces of the company to outside investors. So it wasn't cash on the balance sheet. It was that we were selling pieces of our business to these investors. Yeah. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every sales situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the Wingman your sales needs 
to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing businesses. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. Now, in this case, I mean, you guys, you know, were at it for 14 years. So that's quite a, quite a journey. It was so a I guess, uh, It was. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess after, you know, like being for for so long, you know, with, with a company, Tell us about how, you know, the the next, you know, your next baby. I mean, as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. You know, how did Credit Key, you know, come to life? Because I know that there was a patent there and one of your buddies from New York, you know, how did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, I I ended up still transitioning away from one stop as a business and took a board, you know, was a chairman of the board and around 2000, uh, 2015, um, I got approached. By, and I was looking at, and, and I think I, I was such an entrepreneur for so, for so long, or I was an entrepreneur for so long. This is just what I do. It's in my blood at this point, right? So I, I knew I was going to do something else. And I was, I was looking for, you know, what that opportunity was. And my, my, my sense was it was something in e-commerce and um, serendipity was I got approached by uh, a, a guy that I know, a, a very successful New York-based entrepreneur who came to me and said, I have a patent uh, on financing credit card declines. And believe it or not, I, I, I was shocked that, that you could even patent something like that. But the idea was at point of sale, if you're using a credit card to transact and it gets declined, the ability to finance that transaction. We, we still own that IP, by the way. But he came to me and said, do you think there's a business around? There's all these alternative payment companies out um, online, right? Like Affirm and PayPal Credit, Klarna and so forth. Do you think there's a business to be built around the credit card declines? Like the folks that just go there and get declined and never come back. I mean, and if you, if you went out to those, if you went out and, 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 and retargeted those customers, those lost customers, is there a business to be built around that? And this cost per acquisition model is known in the industry where you get a percentage of the sale generated from, you know, bringing that customer back, right? Retargeting. You've seen this as a customer, right? Where someone will retarget you. And so I thought, you know, this is, this is interesting. And I went to One Stop's data and we had probably a hundred brands at that time doing a billion dollars in transaction volume across all these brands, right? And I found out that uh, 15%, I, I did some digging into this because I hadn't thought about it. 15% of all credit card transactions get declined, one five. Um, and I thought, wow, that's a big number. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, gap and you're doing a billion dollars in, 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 in gross merchandise volume on your website, 
150 million falls out. $150 million falls out and you don't know what happens to that, right? And and so I, I did, what I discovered is half of it, 50% is credit, 50% is credit related. So the, the issuing bank on the card is basically making a decision that, you know what, we're, we're going to decline this transaction. And that could be you're a day late on your payment or your dollar over your limit or whatever it is, but they're making a credit decision on you. And they're not in the business of re- evaluating your credit real time. So they just decline you, move on. 50% of it is some sort of fat fingering the CVV number, or there's a fraud screening algorithm that, you know, you, Alejandro suddenly starts shopping uh, for his holiday gifts on a plane going to, going to Europe, and he's 50 miles from his billing zip, and there's a velocity trigger that happens because you're starting to order a lot. You get, you know, that kind of stuff. But it was a big enough number that we ended up going, there, there's something here. Let's build a business around recapturing these lost sales. And so we, myself and this gentleman, invested our own capital and started building. I, I hired some developers and started building a product around this. And so we built, we built, we built the MV, the, what they call the MVP, minimum viable product in the industry. We built the MVP. Uh, and then I, I, I said, I have contacts from my e-commerce days. In the industry, I'm going to get some people I know in the industry to pilot this product, this decline financing product, right? And so I started calling, calling around, and and I got some people signed up. Um, and this is the interesting part, and this is the I use the uh, you know the old uh, Reese's peanut butter commercials where they have the chocolate and the peanut butter, and they kind of they fall together and they create this really innovative product. I went to a B2B, one of the folks that I called was a B2B business to business e-commerce merchant. Now I had spent all my days, my time in B2C, right? So, you know, groceries, sneakers, that kind of thing. I hadn't really spent a lot of time in the B2B space and, and frankly didn't appreciate how large it's grown in, in, in recent years. And so I went to this one particular merchant and he said to me, look, I, I sell only to businesses and I'll pilot. This is a really interesting product idea. I will pilot it on my website, but only if you allow me to have another version of it higher up the purchase funnel before they've been declined. Because there's not an alternative financing product at point of sale for businesses checking out. Um, and I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing that the innovation that I had seen happen in B2C that we had all seen happen with alternative financing, alternative payments like Klarna and Afterpay, Affirm, pay, Bill Me Later, which became PayPal Credit in 2009, hasn't reached B2B. And so I went back to my product team and I said, we build this product and adapt it for businesses. I know that you can make credit decisions and scoring decisions on uh, consumers, right? Every consumer has a FICO score. That's essentially consumer underwriting uh, for all intents and purposes, right? So if you go to adidas.com and use Klarna to buy a pair of sneakers, or you go to peloton.com and you use a firm to buy a Peloton bike, they're using your FICO score and making a credit decision based on that. So is it, what's the equivalent? And this is, and, and the answer is we came up with a product. Well, what happened is we, we built a product around this. Um, uh, that, that underwrites and scores these, these they call them SMBs, these small and mid-sized businesses in real time. So we score this SMB at the 
website as they're checking out. We already, we pre-populate this product that we built, pre-populates the application process because we already know the name of the business. We know uh, the email, phone number. There's all this data that's getting inputted in by the user, address, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're, 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 we're scoring off of that data in the background, and then we pre-populate the application process. We ask a series of additional information. Obviously, we need the EIN, which is the tax ID number. And we have a pretty sophisticated underwriting waterfall that makes a credit decision on that business in real time, in seconds. How do you guys monetize then? It's a typical, uh, the unit economics look very similar to a typical lending business, right? So we, uh, the first thing we do is we charge a processing fee to the merchant. So our, our go-to-market strategy at Credit Key is that we get distribution through what we call merchants, or these are e-commerce websites, right? So this is the website that's selling restaurant equipment and supplies, okay? So the the restaurant, uh, a lot of those processes are getting digitized nowadays. So that restaurant used to, 15 years ago, flip through a catalog uh, for, a, for a pizza oven and call the local sales rep that they had, and that was an analog process. That is now mostly digital or getting, or getting digitized at a rapid clip. So not surprisingly, that catalog has now been uploaded onto a website. And so those customers go through a purchase funnel. It looks a lot like Amazon.com to make those, to make those purchases. So we go to the merchant that sells these products in dozens and dozens of different vertical segments from you know, nail salons to coffee houses to dental offices to restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And we get. Uh, distribution through integrating in their on their payment page as they're as they're checking out, okay. And for that, we charge a processing fee to the merchant that is similar to a credit card processing fee. So that's that's part of the revenue that we get. The value proposition for the merchants really is really strong, and it's it's very similar to what you'll hear from a firm in Clarna. and uh, and AfterPay and the rest of and some of these uh, some of the alternative payment folks that. They're on the B2C space, who, by the way, actually charge a higher than interchange, higher than credit card processing fee. That's where they make the money because they don't, they're paying four models, a lot of them. But we, but we, uh, the value proposition is, 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 is the, the first one, the main one, the most important one is you're going to drive incremental lift in sales from adding alternative payments as an option, um, at, uh, in the checkout flow. So, it, we empower the SMB customer with more options, more credit. They're going to spend more money. Oh, and, and oftentimes it'll manifest itself in a larger AOV or average order value. So, and this is easy to test. You'll see, Hey, we launched credit key with a merchant and they spend 50% more because the AOV, the average order value of, of people that check out with credit key is 50% greater than the average order value of people that just use Visa, MasterCard, American Express, right? So the, the value, that's the number one value proposition is you're going to dr- drive, drive additional sales. You drive incremental sales. Another one is we settle with the merchant just like a credit card company processor does. So look, they get their money in two business days like a credit card company will do. Instead of um, oftentimes with a trade credit product, they have to wait 30, 45 days, whatever their, their DSO is to get paid. And then oftentimes that 
their customer will then use a credit card at that point anyway, right? So instead of waiting 30, 45 plus days to get paid in the trade credit, trade credit example, we give them their money in two business days like a credit card settlement. So they get that, that factoring cash flow benefit, which is a big value proposition, right? Well, one thing that I wanted to ask you here too is that this is your second go at it as an entrepreneur. And, you know, obviously with now with Credit Key, you've been, you know, for about seven years. I guess, you know, the second time at it, you know, when you had that experience with the, uh, with one stop, like uh, dealing with, with venture capital firms too. I mean, how have you gone about, you know, capitalizing the business and, and how much capital have you guys raised to date? This is markedly different than, uh, than, than one stop. One stop, we cash flow positive very early on. We had a successful client. The model was not, it wasn't a, it wasn't an intensive software building exercise like credit key. Credit key requires a lot of upfront technology development, like a lot of software companies do. Right. Um, and we're a fintech business. So there's a regulatory compliance infrastructure that needs to be put in place. So this is a capital intensive, um, exercise. We, uh, I've been fortunate enough as an entrepreneur to have been successful with my first company. So the early seed capital, uh, we financed ourselves sort of the, in the, in the, in the six figure range. Right. And that allowed us to not pay ourselves a salary, but that allowed us to hire developers essentially, but to start building out that MVP product I mentioned that we brought to that B2B merchant early on and some of the iterations on the product that that's, that that's the early, early part of it. You know, I, 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 uh, I talk about there's two types, two ways to build a company. One is you build a product and then you take it to market and hopefully it, it works, right? Hopefully people pay money for it, right? That, that, and then the other is you have a company that comes to you and says, Hey, I want this product. And then you build it for them specifically. Like those are kind of the, the two ways. And I'm not saying which one's right or which one's wrong, but the second one, we, we actually had a client that said, Hey, I like this product and I'll pay you for it. Um, and so it was kind of a hybrid of the two different models with, with credit key. But we ended up, uh, our series A, we ended up going the traditional venture capital route. I, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm one of the benefits of, of having us, um, been successful as an entrepreneur is you, you start to get a network of folks that, that, uh, will, will, um, introduce you to, to venture capital, uh, players, or, you know, those people from your, from your own personal relationships. And so I had contacts in, in, in the space. And so it was, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, most venture firms, you can get in the door with the venture firms, right? Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not exceptionally hard to get a meeting. There's a lot of venture capital firms. And, and to, to get in there, if you have a compelling idea, you'll get a, you'll get a listen to from somebody, right? Um, it's hard to actually convince, I mean, it's challenging to get, to get funded at the, at, at, at a decent, you know, A to get funded and B to get funded at a, at a, at a decent price. But, um, getting, getting in the door, we, we were able to do. And, and I think my back, our background in, in e-commerce, mine specifically in the management, the initial management team that we put together, plus the market opportunity that we're going after is very, is enormous. It's, it's B2B e-commerce essentially. 
And so the investment thesis around building products and technologies for business-to-business e-commerce, the evolution of business payments in this digital, in this new digital real estate, it's it's really it's really easy to get your head around and, and, and to understand and see. And so I think it was a combination of just the, the the sheer market size plus my personal experience and success in the e-commerce space that that allowed us to get that 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 initial round of funding. Got it. So I guess hey, in total uh, to date, how much have you guys raised? We raised uh thirty million dollars around thirty million dollars in equity capital to date. The companies we we issued our first loan in 2019. And what about on the debt side? Have you guys say uh, needed to raise too on the debt side to to get the operation going? Uh, well, the debt side the debt side we just put a large uh, facility in place with. There's a press release out there on on the internet, but we raised a uh, hundred million dollar uh, debt facility, aka warehouse facility with a uh, with an investment group called called Fortress, and that is our money that we use to uh, finance these 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 payments. Right, that's our cost of goods sold, if you will. So it's challenging for as a fintech company. Let me just point one thing out: the, the hard part about raising capital is we have to raise two kinds of capital, as you mentioned. Like we have to raise equity capital, which funds all the salaries of the developers and our sales folks and compliance and g and a and then just the the staff, the typical sort of folk people that work at the company, and then there's the debt piece which we which is a a totally different group of investors by the way, that will give you what they call a warehouse facility that allows you to to lend and you can't it's a chicken or the egg because you can't get these debt facilities in place at that size until you have what they call sort of like loan tape, which is uh, it, which is um, proof of your ability to lend money and do it effectively, right? And so, you know, hi- historic, tra- you know, data on your your credit performance. And so, but how do you get that without a facility in place, right? So it's this sort of catch. It's this catch twenty two. And so, what we had to do in the beginning, you have to get very creative. Your first facility is really hard to get. Not the equity piece. But the piece that you're going to use to lend money out. So we had to get one of our investors, a very wealthy individual who has you know, what's called a family office. And we had his family office set up a separate debt facility, very small, that allowed us to, to do some initial, initial lending out of that, um, get some results back. And then we refinanced that and we refinanced it again. And then we, we recently refinanced it, so to speak, with, with Fortress. So, so let me ask you this, John. If you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Credit Key is fully realized, what does that world look like? It's a great question. I, I, I would say we are as we are as ubiquitous in we're the we're the Venmo or PayPal for for, for business to business transactions. That that that's how you from a brand equity standpoint, when you think of Credit Key, you think of Venmo for business, or it's it's as widely ubiquitous from a brand standpoint as one of those brands in the B2B payment space. And we're doing billions of dollars a year in transaction volume, 10 billion plus. Um, and 25% of that is outside the United States. That's my five-year vision for the company. 
10 billion in transaction volume uh, and 25% outside the US, a brand and, and, and a brand equity position as the market leader, as I mentioned, you bet you, ubiquitous penetration among uh, the who's who of business to business e-commerce sites. I love it. Now, imagine if I gave you the opportunity, John, of going back in time, because obviously, you know, now two companies that you've built, you know, you've been at it now for over, you know, 20 years as a, as an entrepreneur. If you had the opportunity of going back in time and, and having a chat with your younger self, perhaps that younger self that, you know, is now in the digital media, you know, world and, and, and thinking about launching something of your own and, and you were able to give that younger John one piece of advice before launching a business, given what you know now, what would that be and why? Look, I'm in the, we're in the, I'm in the technology business fundamentally, and we have in successful technology companies, I think if we were to go through the list of, you know, the FANG companies, for example, right? They all have one thing in common that they have very successful technology and engineering kind of development organizations. Um, and I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, before he was the CEO of Facebook, was, a, a, I mean, a, a brilliant programmer. I mean, he's a savant when it comes to writing code. We, I mean, when we could have opinions about what he is as a CEO or what have you, or the strategic vision of the business of Meta, but he is undoubtedly, a, a, you know, that was the superpower for Facebook was 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 tech was tech, right? And that's kind of where I would think I would give myself the advice of don't make sure you, I think you need to bring a co-founder on, or if you don't have that experience, you need to understand at least how to navigate through that world of technology. And you need to have, and oftentimes the the founders might not have it themselves, but you need to bring in a co-founder who, who, um, that, that's just an important area to focus on. I, I would, I would over, um, index the need to, um, put those, those, the correct technology pieces in place. And by the way, making a bad decision on technology can kill the company. And so it's the, the, the difference between, um, being really successful and being an absolute liability or like, like this. Right. And so I think that's an important area that I would, that I would, that I would, and that I would over index. Um, and also, and then the second one would be, would be, would be sales and marketing, sales and marketing, sales and marketing, right? So those, those, yeah, no those two areas. Got it. Well, that's amazing, John. So, so for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to, to do so? You can reach me at john at creditkey.com, actually, if you, if you, uh, if you want, um, uh, J-O-H-N at creditkey.com. Amazing. Well, hey, John, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.